So I think God has a great sense of humor. First up with the music is like, um, I am not a Chris Tomlin guy at all. I don't know why. He really, he really kind of gets on my nerves, but that's, that's bad for me to say. So I always think it's funny because every time I preach, we sing a Chris Tomlin song, which is kind of ironic. The other thing that God has really got a great sense of humor on is the topic that I'm actually going to be sharing you with today. Uh, with you today um, is actually the last, I mean, I'm the last person. Actually, let's rephrase this. I'm the first person that needs to be teaching this today because I've had to look into God's Word and see what it says about the topic, because I'm the last person in the world that needs to be sharing it without looking in the Bible and see what the topic says, um, by far. I know I told you that over the summer when I spoke on listening. This is, this is big time. Uh, when I told Brian, and I was like, hey, did you know that Acts chapter 15 I'm talking on today is actually about how to deal effectively with conflict? I was like, that's, and he's like, that's exactly why I think you should be the one teaching it. Um, let me give you a little story of how I deal with conflict. Um, years ago, down at the Wance Middle School, um, I walked into the library, and our librarian was Mrs. Cooper. Now, Josh, you can attest to this, and Anna, right? Braden, okay, Aubrey. You don't mess with Mrs. Cooper, right? Am I right? Okay. So I carry in a Coke. And um, there's this rule, you know, obviously kids aren't allowed to eat or drink in the library or in the building at all. And I carry in a Coke, and Mrs. Cooper says, uh, excuse me, Mr. Osborne, you can't have that in here. And I was like, I'm like a 40-year-old grown man, right? I mean, I'm on my planning period. I'm not responsible for kids. And I say, well, I mean, I'm a grown man. That's a rule for kids. And she said, that's the rule. And I said, well, I think you're real stupid. That, that would be the Kevin Osborne way of dealing with conflict. I'm not sure at all where I would have learned how to deal with conflict in that way. Sherry, any idea? Yeah. Yeah. So I said, well, you're real stupid. And she said, well, I don't care if you think the rule is stupid or not. That's the rule. And I walked out, the, I walked out right, with my coat. Now, just to set the record straight, a couple days later, because it normally takes me a couple days, right, that male pride thing going on, to go back to her and say, you know what, I was really out of line whenever I called your rule stupid, even though I really did think the rule stupid, and I still do. Um, and I had to go back and I had to apologize to her. Um, so I am the last person. Uh, this is a huge area of my life where God really needed to reveal uh, truth to me um, and has actually done so over the last couple of weeks as I knew this day was coming. And um, even though we're going to share a lot of scripture today on what God says about it, it's not me, God's word and how to deal with conflict. Um, it is an area of my life that's going to continue to need to be sharpened as long as I'm here on this earth as we get into this today. So a um, couple weeks ago, Brian introduced us to two men in the book of Acts named Paul and Barnabas. And he referred to them, you guys remember, as the dynamic duo. He said they were Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Batman and Robin. Um, Jana thought that it should be Jana and Stephanie because they teach together at Medlerview Elementary that they're like the dynamic duo. Um, and 
I want to review a little bit about the relationship between Paul and Barnabas, because that's going to set the stage actually for our conflict today, and then talk about how we can actually deal with that conflict. So before actually, before God really gets a hold of Paul, um, we need to remember who Paul was. He's a guy named Saul. He's a Jewish leader. He's actually ravaging, ravaging the church. He's pulling men and women out of their houses. He's arresting them. And when we, when we, when we talked about Acts last spring, we even saw that in the stoning of Stephen, where Stephen is actually killed by Jewish leaders, Paul is there, he's present, and the Bible tells us he's approving. He's approving of Stephen being killed because he's a follower of Christ. Um, and we need to remember that um, if, if you're an early church person, you probably are a little apprehensive about believing that this guy named Paul, who was once Saul, who was like killer and arrester of Christians, actually converts to Christianity. Jesus um, reveals himself to Paul, and Paul actually becomes a Christian. And if, we are, um, if we're alive back then, we're probably a little apprehensive of that. Here's a guy with a strong personality that's been killing Christians, that's been arresting Christians, and now all of a sudden he says he is a Christian. So a lot of the early uh, church leaders are apprehensive about believing that Paul actually has changed, except for Barnabas, okay? Barnabas actually vouches for him to the apostles and, and says, like, you know, kind of give him a chance kind of thing. Um, we need to remember that these two men um, are going to be friends and ministry, partners in ministry for over 15 years. So their relationship is going to be extremely tight. Um, that friendship actually kind of begins whenever the church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas to Antioch um, because they want them to check, they want Barnabas to check out some things. Once Barnabas checks out those things, he actually goes to Tarsus where he knows Paul is living and actually seeks out in Acts chapter 11. He actually goes and finds Paul, kind of recruits him to be his like partner in ministry. Um, we see in Acts chapter 12 that once they're together in Antioch, that there's a famine in Jerusalem where people are hurting. And the church actually sends Paul and Barnabas together to Jerusalem to actually give aid during the famine. And whenever they return from Jerusalem back to Antioch, Paul and Barnabas are actually going to be called out by the Holy Spirit to actually go and to preach together and begin kind of a missionary opportunity. Now, I think that Paul gets a lot of credit for this stuff, and I think Barnabas kind of gets left out. Even when we study history, um, in my class in social studies, seventh grade social studies, we talk about Paul's missionary journeys. The first journey probably should be called Paul and Barnabas' missionary journey, but it's not normally called that. But these guys are tight. I mean, they know each other well. They've been living together. They've been serving together. They've been preaching God's word together and encouraging, starting churches together. They are very, very, very tight. They have the same theology. They have the same goal. They're very committed to um, the cause of Christ. They have the same heart for the church. They're planting churches and sharing God's word. However, they have extremely different personalities. And with these different personalities, they have a totally different set of strengths and a totally different set of weaknesses. And we're going to kind of key in on that today. Before we do that, let's take a look at their personalities. Barnabas's real name is Joseph. Brian shared this a couple weeks ago. Um, Barnabas's real name is Joseph. 
Um, what do we know about Barnabas? We know that in Acts chapter 11, verses 22 through 24, um, and you could look in your Bible if you want today. You're not going to be able to keep up with me because i got a ton of Scripture. I know that's surprising you guys. Um, we read, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Here we see Barnabas' personality. He's a very spiritually mature person. He's a godly leader. We see he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he's a good man. He's actually picked by the church in Jerusalem to go to Antioch and to encourage them to keep doing the good things that are going on. Okay? Um, if we read on um, in Acts chapter 4, we see that, um, we see that um, it says, Thus Joseph, Barnabas, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons of, son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay? So this guy whose nickname is the son of encouragement, what kind of guy is he? He's the guy that's encouraging the faint-hearted. He's like putting his arm around people and speaking positive words into people. Um, he cares about what people think of him. He cares about um, other people. We also see in this verse that he's a very generous man because he actually takes a field and sells it and gives all the proceeds to the early church. Now, are these positive things? I don't know about you, but a godly man, a good leader, full of the Holy Spirit, a good man, generous, right? Encouraging. Those are all very good attributes. I think all of us would agree. If people look at, and look at us in that way, we would be like, that's good. So the question is, is Barnabas's personality, is there anything that could maybe, maybe not be so good? And I think if we were to key in on something that maybe would be a possible um, negative in Barnabas's personality is that maybe he lets this encouraging attitude sometimes allow him to worry too much about what other people think of him. And I say this because in Galatians chapter 2, we read where Barnabas is actually eating with the Gentiles and the Jewish people come into the area and he stops eating with the Gentiles because he's afraid that the Jews will judge him and not understand. And Paul is very frustrated by Barnabas' decision to do this. And you can almost hear Paul like, have a backbone, you know what I mean? Stand up. Um, do we have a feel for what Barnabas is like here? Good guy, good guy. Paul, I'm not going to focus in as much on Paul today because he gets a lot of attention. I think a lot of us in here know a lot about him. I'm going to try to summarize him pretty fast. Spiritual leader, very strong, resolute commitment to follow Christ um, no matter what. No matter what's going on in Paul's life, he is resolute about following Christ. His attitude is a very get-it-done kind of guy, extremely straightforward, um, probably feared by other people, because remember, he has that reputation of actually arresting Christians and watching them be put to death. So you put that on top of the fact that he also has a strong personality. I imagine that other people could fear him. And if there maybe is a disadvantage to Paul's personality, it probably is that he could come across to other people as maybe being arrogant or maybe harsh at times, okay? I think all of us out here maybe look at these two men and right away you can kind of associate with one or the other, right? You're like, I'm, 
I'm definitely more wired like Barnabas. Um, I'm telling you that I'm a Paul through and through. I'm a Paul through and through. Um, and the way these guys' personality is going to play a major role in actually how they handle a situation that is going to be full of conflict, full of conflict, okay? And we want to look at this interaction that happens between these two guys that have been friends for over 15 years, partners in ministry, and this interaction is not warm and fuzzy at all. It's actually going to be downright ugly, okay? Let's do a little bit of background on our situation that we're going to be dealing with. On Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey, they take with them a guy named John Mark, okay? The Bible refers to John Mark as just Mark eventually, okay? We know, and Brian actually told us a little about, about this a couple weeks ago, we know that John Mark is actually the cousin of Barnabas. So that throws in a little bit of a family dynamic, right? Um, we also know that John Mark is an extremely important individual. Later on, he will actually write the Gospel of Mark. And Paul and Barnabas decide to actually take John Mark with them on their first missionary journey, okay? Um, in Acts chapter 13, we read, during the first missionary journey, Mark, or John Mark, leaves. And we don't know why. Scripture does not tell us what the issue was, but John Mark leaves Paul and Barnabas and goes back to Jerusalem, okay? And that's where our story picks up today. John Mark, is, he has left he evidently has come back to where Paul and Barnabas are. Their first missionary journey is now over, and they're actually preparing for or getting ready to prepare for their second trip together. Okay? So this will be the second trip. Let's read Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Remember? Cousin. Remember? Guy that ditched him the first time. Okay? But Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Panthea and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with, them, with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray. Dear God, we just uh, thank you for this morning. And we um, thank you that you reveal yourself through real people in the Bible. And we thank you that you give us the opportunity to see um, how those people and these, these men in the Bible and women in the Bible, how they, how they react to things sometimes in good ways and how sometimes they also react to things in ways that are not so good that we could learn from. And I pray that um, you would just allow us to learn from Paul and Barnabas today and how they handled this situation so that whenever we are put in situations here on earth, we can handle them in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. So life is going to be full of judgment calls, right, every day. And personalities respond differently, just like we see here with Paul and Barnabas, in different ways. 
Um, I do think it's important for us to remember that since the fall of man, we are all sinners. So we are all imperfect people, and we're in imperfect relationships, living in an imperfect world. Matthew Henry calls these issues points of prudence. And I've got a quote up here if you want to follow along with me. Matthew Henry says, Even those that are united to one and the same Jesus and sanctified by one and the same Spirit have different apprehensions, different opinions, different views, and different sentiments and points of prudence. It will be so while we are in this state of darkness and imperfection. We shall never be all of a mind till we come to heaven where light and love are perfect. So, as long as we're imperfect people in imperfect relationships, living in an imperfect world, and it's going to be that way as long as we're here on earth, right? Until heaven. Then one thing we can realize is conflict is going to be inevitable. Okay? Does that make sense? I mean, we are going to have conflict in our lives. But conflict, I'm sorry, conflict is inevitable, but combat is optional. Now, this is the quote that's really been kicking. I actually found this from another guy. This one's been kicking my rear end over the last couple weeks, right? Conflict is inevitable, but combat is, an, is optional, right? My situation with Mrs. Cooper, I chose to go into what? I went into combat mode, right? And sometimes I kind of enjoy combat mode, to be honest with you, right? You're kind of like, bring it on, say something to me, you know, say something to me. So we are going to be constantly bombarded with, with conflict in our lives. But whether we choose to handle those situations in a combative manner is really going to be kind of um, up to us and how willing we are to let Jesus actually be the, um, the change mechanism, okay? In verse 39 of our story today, we see that there arose a sharp disagreement. Now, if we go and we look at the Greek word for sharp, it actually means a sudden, violent outburst. So this wasn't like a little mild argument or disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. This actually was kind of like a knockdown, drag-out fight. This was, this, was a, this was a big deal. And I think that whenever we look at this situation, the first thing that I want to do is I want to start looking at, well, who's right in the situation and who's wrong in the situation, right? And I think if we look at Paul and Barnabas' situation and how they deal with this, I think they're both right. And I think they're both wrong. And I think we could probably sit here all day and try to argue and figure out which one was right and which one was wrong, but that really um, would be missing the entire point. A quote from Desiring God put it this way, Can either of these men boast over the other? Paul and Barnabas. I think not. God has chosen to build a community of diverse people. His aim is that not all the Barnabas become Paul's, and that all the Pauls become Barnabases. His aim is that they help each other fight the fight of faith and endure to the end and be saved. His aim is that when one is weak, the other be strong. When the strength of one makes him vulnerable to a corresponding weakness, the other be there with a balancing virtue. And his aim is that we not envy or resent each other, but rejoice in the wisdom of the Spirit who creates and uses and molds us according to his choosing. Now, because conflict is inevitable, the question isn't 
today, how can I avoid conflict at all costs? All right, that's not our topic today because we've already established the fact that you can't avoid it. It is going to show up because it's inevitable. The question today is, how can I resolve conflict properly? And how does God want me to resolve it, right? What's God's advice on how to deal with conflict? So today, what I want to start with is looking at four truths rooted in Scripture that really are truths we need to remember when dealing with anything in life, but especially in dealing with conflict. The first truth, as believers, we are called to love others. It's the second greatest commandment after loving God. 1 John chapter 4 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, do, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The second thing we need to remember from God is that Jesus made it very clear that unity among believers is important. When he prayed in John chapter 17, Jesus said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The third thing is that conflict should be resolved as soon as possible. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. All right? And the fourth thing is, is that understanding that God tells us that unresolved conflict can actually lead to bitterness and that we need to be careful that we don't let the enemy derail us in this way. Hebrews chapter 12 says, so it is that no one fa- so it is that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no bitter that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. So those are just four basic kind of guidelines of how we need to deal with anything in life but especially on how we deal with conflict. Because like we said is it's inevitable. Okay? It's inevitable. A couple of things I think that we really need to remember here is that the way that we deal with conflict is either going to represent Jesus well or it's actually going to misrepresent him. I think I always think of the first one, right? Like, am I, misrep- am I representing Jesus well? But I don't really think about that the opposite of that is misrepresenting Jesus. The other thing is we need to remember that We are either facilitating the gospel being spread or we're actually inhibiting the gospel being spread in how we deal with situations in life. And conflict is one of those major situations. So since we know it's going to happen and since we know God has given us specific guidelines of how to deal with these sorts of things, what is our goal in dealing with conflict? Okay? Our goal should be to represent Jesus well and to advance the gospel. Okay. It should not be to win the argument, present our case, or to prove the other person wrong. I would read that again, but it's too condemning to read to myself a second time. Notice should be is underlined because what? This should be the way that it is, right? 
this should be the way it is. However, I don't know about you, but in my life, it often isn't. It often isn't. I'm looking for a way to prove the other person wrong, to have my voice heard, or if I've been wrongly accused or something, I want to set the record straight, and I'm ready to go to battle over that, to that combat mode, okay? What I want to share today are eight quick things. Since we know the truth, we know that we're supposed to love other people, we're supposed to be unified, we're supposed to resolve conflict quickly and, and not be bitter. It's like we know these truths, but how do we actually practice these in our real relationships with people in real life when it comes specifically to conflict? Okay, so how do I accomplish the goal of representing Jesus well and advancing the gospel? Number one, let me tell you, these are not, yeah. These are not fun for me to read because out of all eight, I stink at all eight, okay? First, listen before we speak. James chapter one says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We can never resolve conflict in a way that represents Jesus well whenever we are not listening. Okay? Second, we need to use our words very carefully because words can either help the situation greatly or they can totally get us into a bigger mess. Proverbs chapter 15 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Okay? Who are my fellow people out there that need to keep their mouths shut more and listen more? Okay, thank you. I'm not alone. All right? Third, we need to be honest but loving. And this maybe is a little harder for our Barnabas people, okay? Ephesians chapter 4 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into, rather, excuse me, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, okay? There are times whenever we're dealing with conflict in our lives where the truth has to be spoken, Right? Right? So we can't avoid it. And, and Barnabas maybe was an avoider. And, you know, he maybe had that personality to like steer away from it. We got Paul on the other hand that would what? Right? He had no problem in attacking that conflict. In that way, both of them are maybe a little bit wrong. Okay? There are times in our lives where we have to speak the truth. However, that truth has to be, speaking, has, has to be spoken um, in love. Fourth, we have to care about the needs, thoughts, and concerns of other people. Philippians chapter 2 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. How often in dealing with conflict do I have that kind of attitude? Next, we have to be willing to sacrifice. John 15 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. All right? We have to not worry about winning. Sometimes we have to give something up. Steph and I were talking like, you know, if you really want that new refrigerator, one of you really wants that new refrigerator, it could even be that refrigerator that Brian talked about a couple weeks ago, right? And, I, and 
and maybe you just don't get the fridge, or, or maybe you do, right? But sometimes we need to deal with conflict in a way that where we don't concern ourselves with who wins the conflict. Next, we have to be patient and willing to forgive. Colossians chapter 3 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one of you has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That same grace that God gives us, we are commanded to give to other people. It's also important if we're going to represent Christ well and advance the gospel, that we see other people in a way that Jesus sees other people. 2 Corinthians 5 says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Do I treat other people in conflict the way that Jesus feels about those people? And our last way to really look at like, how do I represent Jesus well and advance the gospel in conflict is by remembering that Jesus actually calls us to represent him as the light of the world. John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Then we read in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus himself calls us to represent him by being his light. So as we look at our situation today between Paul and Barnabas, I think all of us ask the question, we kind of wonder and we can't help but wonder, did these two godly men ever really resolve their disagreement? Right? Because what they do, they just kind of just kind of split. We do see they go their separate ways. If we read on in the beginning of chapter 16 of Acts, we see that in spite of them separating and going their separate ways, that God in his grace actually allows the gospel to advance. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we see that Paul actually mentions Barnabas as a fellow apostle, which maybe gives us the indication that somewhere along the line they've kind of let it go, right? We see Paul ask in 2 Timothy for John Mark to come and help him in his ministry. So the same guy that Paul said, hey, we're not taking him. He's the one that, he's the one that cut out on us. Paul now is asking for John Mark to come. In, in Colossians chapter 4, we read that Paul expresses the idea that John Mark is a comfort to him. And actually, if he goes to the church, the church should accept him. So we get the idea that Paul and Barnabas kind of make things right at some point in the relationship. Okay? But they never do come back together. I think it's, as believers, it's crucial for us to remember that we cannot handle conflict properly um, on our own. 
It's not doable. Anytime that I'm relying on myself to resolve a conflict, it is not going to turn out very well. Our flesh is sinful, and it's going to distract us from our goal of representing Christ well and advancing the gospel every time. The Holy Spirit is the only difference maker to be able to help us accomplish this goal. So we have to, and Brian mentioned this last week, we have to die to ourself. Galatians chapter 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith and in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself to me. The only way that I'm going to be able to handle conflict in a way that's going to be able to represent Jesus well and allow the gospel to be advanced if as I realize that I cannot do it on my own, I die to my sinful self, and I rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in a situation to take over. That's the only way. So I want to end today with a couple questions. For me, for all of us, when I have a conflict with my spouse, my children, my coworkers, my friends, with people in my church, or maybe even with a stranger or a librarian? Am I representing Christ well? Or am I misrepresenting him? Do I handle conflict in a way that advances the gospel? And last, am I dying to myself daily? so that Jesus' light can shine through me in my interactions with other people, especially interactions that involve conflict. Um, Bob Neubauer shared with me um, in a group a couple weeks ago a situation um, that he was involved in. I've asked him to actually come up and share where it's a very beautiful situation. It's a beautiful story he's going to share with you real quick where believers handled conflict in a way that represented Christ well, and for that reason, advanced the gospel. Bob, will you come and share? Good morning. So, as many of you know, um, I have the pleasure of working alongside a rusty toad vine with his hope and just kind of helping out where I can with that. And... Um, from the beginning, uh, it's just been an awesome experience. And recently, um, God revealed exactly what Kevin was talking about today. Uh, God, God laid that out right in front of me in real life. And uh, I got to watch it all happen. And it's because of really the people that were there and around Rusty and Rusty himself and how, how things were handled that it, it was just a beautiful experience. Uh, so, uh, as some of you may know, when uh, the, the building was purchased down on 4th Street, um, there were some neighbors that were very much against it. Um, there was an initial meeting with neighbors that got pretty hostile, um, and it went on from there. Well, a few months ago, um, there was a night of hope, and uh, as the night of hope was going on, a neighbor comes busting through the front door and starts talking to Rusty, and uh, he wants cars moved out of the street. So I go down, and I'm trying to talk to this gentleman, and 
Um, he was not at all interested in, in me helping him out. Um, he was pretty, pretty hostile and pretty upset. And I just kept saying, look, I'm going to do my best to help you out and do what we can. And then, well, your best isn't good enough. You're a liar. You guys are you know, just on and on and on. And um, essentially what he was upset about is his house is on that street and um, it is public parking. Um, but what we try to do is get everybody to park down the street at the, uh, the, the Civic Center there. And um, so as I came back in to try to get a couple cars moved, um, his wife, who had a broken foot, came home and uh, ended up parking in the front lawn. And so even though we were in the process of moving cars out of the way so she could park, um, it just was not in the timely manner that he had liked and uh, decided he was going to disrupt the Night of Hope. So he came back in um, literally yelling at Rusty, who was up front. Um, somebody had just finished her testimony and Rusty being Rusty handled it very well. Um, and Sarah Pelfrey and I were able to get the gentleman out of the building and we walked him back to his home and um, he had a few choice words for us and just was not, not a pretty, pretty evening. Um, and you know, obviously Sarah being Sarah was, was incredibly calm and um, I was as calm as I could be dealing with him, but we literally had other neighbors yelling off the, their porches you know, rooting this guy on, essentially. And, uh, you know, in, in some people's opinion, they're like, eh, it's public parking, we're not going to deal with it, don't worry about it. That was not Rusty's mentality. Rusty's mentality is we're going to love our neighbors. Whether we like it or not, That that's a request he has, and we're going to deal with it. So Rusty went out and had signs made. And uh, from that point on, um, every night I hope, We've got signs up on the street corners pointing out parking. These guys over here who are staying in the house, they're getting off work, and they're not coming to the Night of Hope just to, to soak in the Night of Hope. They're standing out there directing traffic and making sure people are going down and, and not parking in front of this guy's house. Um, and, you know, as they're literally coming from work and doing that, so going right in from, from their jobs to then serving serving the public so that they can make sure the night of hope uh, happens without any, any glitches. And uh, this very last night of hope, right after the guys had gone in, I was still outside for a few moments, and that neighbor came down. And I'm like, oh, here we go. And he said, I just want to take a minute and say I'm sorry. I want you to know I have seen all of the things that his hope has done to try to make this situation better and to try to be accommodating. Um, and just was, was incredibly gracious and we had a really good conversation and shook hands and you know he apologized for his actions that night. But um, that easily could still be an ongoing battle if it wasn't for the fact that Rusty chose to pour love into this guy and to go out of his way and to get other people involved to go out of their way to make sure that this request this guy had was taken care of. Um, at no point did Rusty want to battle it. He wanted to, to love on the guy. And since we've been in there, um, he has just gone out of his way to try to pour into those neighbors and the people on the street. And uh, it was just a really, really cool opportunity to see firsthand 
uh, what it means to, to just love on people, even when they're not wanting your love. Um, you know, so often, uh, you know, we, we were, were taught, as, as Kevin talked about, to spread the gospel. Um, some people are not ready to hear it, but what Rusty did was, was show it. And uh, it was just a really cool experience for me to, to have a front seat and be able to, uh, to see that along the way. So in talking with Kevin about it, he had asked me to, to share that story today. But I'm going to go ahead and close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for just the strength you put in us to resist going into that combat. And we just pray, Lord, that, uh, that we can seek to just spread the gospel. We can seek to, to represent Jesus in the right way. And um, that we realize it's not, it's not a weakness. It's that we just need to, to lay it down and let, let you take over, Lord. And I just thank you so much for giving us these real-life examples, God, of um, just ways that we can pour in and love on people and um, just examples of, of this body right here in front of us that you you bring together each week. And I just uh, thank you, God, for these people. I thank you for honesty and people like Kevin coming up and saying that this is a struggle for him because I think it's a struggle for all of us. Um, we just love you, Lord, and we appreciate you. In Jesus' name we pray.